Hey everybody, you're listening to Beyond 1894. This is the official podcast of Louisiana Tech University. Our guest for this episode is Dr. Pasquale De Paula. He is the current director of the School of Design here at Louisiana Tech. Um, I've got a lot of questions for him. I think he's lived a very interesting life and I'm going to try to get him to tell us about it today. Thank you for being here with us today. Well, th- thanks for having me. I love, you know, just that you have a podcast. It's a great media, so I'm happy to be here. Appreciate that. Let's get into it. I think we're going to start from the start. You're from Italy. I am. Tell us about where in Italy that you're from and where you grew up. All right. So this is probably going to be a long story, but yeah, let's get it started. So I, I am uh, originally from uh, Avellino. Uh, it's 50,000 people, you know, uh, about 25 miles away from Naples. Uh, so I'm from the south. And uh, I lived in Avellino, Naples, and Milan, just based on my my family's my dad's job uh and so we we moved a pretty good bit but um i guess you know just the moving and the idea of going from different places uh what that did it really ended up you know just making me more interested in buildings and cities and and that's why i guess by default i became an architect i suppose uh but traveling i think is a great thing and i i just enjoyed it uh i love italy i love the culture but uh, at one point in time, uh, I don't know, I kind of recognized that it wasn't really for me, uh, just from a professional standpoint. And I happened to uh, travel to Boston in 1996. You know, I have family in Boston, and uh, I ended up spending some time just sightseeing. But I, I also spent some time uh, at the, G, uh, the GSD, the Graduate School of Design mm-hmm. at Harvard. And I ended up just doing some research, you know, uh, spending a couple of years there as a, as a visiting scholar. And I became a little more interested in the lifestyle and not only that, but also the academic aspects of, you know, studying architecture. Uh, and also because, I don't know, I just, uh, Harvard was super awesome. Sure. <laughs> and just Boston is great. You know, I'm a big sport fan. And so I, I saw a lot of those things that I want to, uh, I wanted to really experience, you know, but, um, uh, just to get more details to the story, so you know, uh, if you're born before 1980, and I am, uh, so I'm kind of giving giving away my age <laughs> partially, but uh, you had to go through the military service to have you know freedom to travel and your passport. And so, '97, um, I got back to Italy, uh, went to the military, uh, spent two and a half years. Um, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but uh, really got a little more structure about what I wanted to do and. You know, setting up and my goals and objectives and uh, nothing. And after two and a half years, I uh, came back to the States. Uh, spent uh, about six months in Boston learning English. Uh, I went to school, high school in Italy. You know, you had to select the language. Uh, lucky for me, I picked French. And so, yeah, I didn't speak any English until uh, early 2000. And nothing studying English and uh, tried to really look at different schools that were uh, I could afford, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I actually Louisiana Tech was one of those schools. You know, I uh, on CICS I was able to find my record from uh, from 2000. Uh, but anyway, you know, I, I, I ended up really um, I got a pretty good financial uh, uh, package from LSU, and uh, I ended up in South Louisiana. I spent four years, uh, met my wife, and nothing. I'm went back to school, you mm-hmm. know, and according to my wife, I'm, I'm a bit of a professional student though, but I went back to school because I got this opportunity to uh, study architecture uh, and a master program at Columbia University. And so I moved to New York and worked in New York for two and a half years until the economy crashed and um, 
Uh, I ended up going back to school, though, because, you know, I'm a professional student. Sure. So, uh, ended up moving down south, you know, south is kind of, you know, the, the south identity, uh, the feeling, you know, the people, the culture. It's always been in my blood. And so we ended up in College Station at Texas A&M, uh, worked on my Ph.D. in architecture for like three and a half years. And, uh, and then I got a job here at Tech. And I've been here at Tech since 2010. So this kind of kind of a long journey, but uh, really happy where we are right now. Not just me, but you know my my family and mm-hmm. my kids, and and just the fact that Ruston, you know, on paper it's a small town though, but it, I think it does have all those little qualities that that kind of belong to all the different places that, that I lived in. So yeah, you've you've traveled a lot, um, and you talk about growing up in Italy, and then I guess the different places you've lived in, in the States and they're different from each other. I mean, New York and Ruston are not the same. Um, but let's go back to Italy for a second, because one thing that I specifically mentioned to you that I want to talk about is your time as a professional basketball scout. Now tell me how that job came to be for you, sort of the background oh, yeah. that led you to even get into that. Uh, that's, that's an interesting question though. But so Obviously, you know, if you do sports in Italy, it's going to have to be soccer. I play soccer. Okay, I've sure. done it. Uh, I think basketball was always different uh, just because I, it was different, you know. Especially at the time too, right? Uh, absolutely. You know, uh, everybody's playing soccer. You're doing basketball. Uh, I think it was also easier for me to, to, to probably be in the starting five <laughs> at a basketball team because uh, I, I used to be a decent point guard, you know, just a scrappy point mm-hmm. guard. But uh, nothing, you know, uh, coming from a city that was very established in terms of the uh, the soccer scene uh, in what they call the Serie A or the Premier League. Or, and, and so, uh, but basket, you know, became really, uh, grew a lot in the uh, early 90s to mid-90s to, to the point of making it from uh, the third division or the minor leagues to the, the to the first division. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because I, I played and I was a little part of the culture that was in the background up to a certain point in time. And, and, and especially in 1997, 98, it really became, you know, the primary sport. And uh, because I was always interested in watching basketball games, you know, I just remember one of my first uh, Final Fours. I, I, I think it was uh, uh, in the uh, mid-80s and Michael Jordan was playing for UNC. Wow. I'm, I was always interested in watching, you know, beyond mm-hmm. the, uh, the, 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 just the location, you know. And so anytime I have the opportunity, I would just uh, try to get on, on TV. And we, we had only one channel that would uh, show up, you know, uh, uh, broadcast games from the U.S., especially NCAA and NBA. And you get a game that was played two weeks before, but I don't know, I just enjoyed yeah. uh, watching it because I, it gave me an opportunity to just, you know, understand the craft and uh, the schemes and the strategies and j- just watch some awesome players. Uh, and, and because I had that kind of built into for like 10, 12 years, I, um, you know, I have friends that were in that basketball business, you know, and it was mostly, you know, the ownership was based on a, a local family that was interested in investing. I was, you know, best friend with one of their sons. Uh, so I, I, I got to really, uh, watch tapes and I always say, Hey, I, I, I like number 23. Yes. And now Michael Jordan, but, uh, but anyway, just kind of developing the eye for, um, you know, skills and, uh, talents that, that, that would really work well for our team. 
uh, obviously we never really had this uh, incredible budget. So we're always trying to look for players that could kind of adjust to our, um, you know, our needs. And and it was it was never, you know, the superstar. So we, we were always looking for players that were very different. And I kind of developed that the ability to, to recognize those players. I was successful initially, and what is what is it about? What are some qualities in those players that you were always looking for? Oh wow! I I used to go like do it all. You you gotta have to do it all, and I kind of you know even when I look at prospective faculty, you know you gotta have to do it all, uh, and we don't like prima donnas, you know, mm-hmm. and you, you just have to to be a team player, and and so the the best part of that I got to meet just a lot of different uh, people and. Uh, because, you know, the interview, it's not just relative or, you know, them trying out for us. It's not just relative to the skills. I think almost everybody got good uh, 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 skills. I think it's also the personality. So lots of, you know, lunches and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, conversations over dinner. Uh, but even just, you know, uh, conversation just to understand that, that if that personality is a good fit for us. And there's been some times where, you know, I'm, I've been wrong and kind of discover some things that, 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 that weren't really there on, on tape and, and personality-wise, you know. Uh, but, no, I, I just enjoyed it. And, and, uh, and then, you know, the basketball team ended up really moving to um, the, the, the first division, you know, which is kind of like the premier uh, sure. locale for mm-hmm. us. And at the time, my brother, he became the general manager for the basketball team. And he uh, operated in that capacity for uh, for the last 20 years. So uh, it, it's interesting because we're coming, you know, I think everybody's interested in soccer in my family, but we ended up kind of establishing ourselves in basket. Yeah, wow. And, and so I, I don't know. I, I think it's just relative to understanding what you like. And if you have an eye for certain skills and aspects, you, you just go for it. And that's what we did. So, how long did you do that for? Uh, I still do it every now and then, uh, especially you know the, if there's anybody looking for young players uh, because they don't ask for a lot of money. So I kind of right. have that specialty. You know, uh, they 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 don't come to me for you know the ones that are established. You know, they want to see like little gems, and and so I I tend to watch a lot of NCAA basketball, and so I I, I do some scouts uh, for different teams. I've done it. Uh, I've been writing about it as well mm-hmm. uh, when I had more time, you know, previously to, to, to what I'm doing right now that is really taking 100% of my time. But, uh, yeah, I, I tend to scout players, and I, I shared that with, you know, friends that they're in the business right now, uh, coaches that, you know, well, they're some of my friends, and mm-hmm. they're, they're still asking about certain players, and I, I still like doing it. Uh, I wish I could do, you know, and I had more time to do so, but uh, it's, uh, it is what it is, I yeah. suppose. Yeah, yeah. Um- that's so cool. And, and uh, something you mentioned to me before we started recording um, is that you were familiar with a tech player at the time that was here, oh, yeah. Paul Millsap. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's that's a great story because it was back in 2004. I think it was February, though. So I was at LSU, and we were doing uh, – it was a community design studio, and we were trying to provide some design guidelines for uh, the local community of Bastrop. And so we ended up coming up here, spending three different days doing workshops, and uh, and la- likely for me, uh, during those three days, uh, Tech played in Nevada. And so I came here, and I think Tech lost. I think it was a, it's kind of a, a, you know, just a, one of those games, and, sure. you know, it just slipped away. Uh, but I just vividly remember this guy that was scoring points and uh, uh, a rebounding machine, uh, Paul Millsup. And 
And at the time, one of my friends that was working for a local newspaper asked me to, um, you know, I had this little weekly and then it became biweekly and then monthly, uh, uh, you know, just articles that I would send back home uh, called On the Road. Uh, and so he asked me to do a piece on it. So I ended up writing about my experience in Ruston, you know, just coming here and it's, it's kind of a small town. Uh, but there's this guy coming from a, a Grambling lab and nobody knows about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody knew about him from, you know, the McDonald's All-Star. But this guy was going 20 and 20 every yeah. game. And, and nothing, you know, the, the, I ended up, you know, just writing this piece called The Best Kept Secret. And, and, and it's funny because, you know, uh, they asked me a couple of years ago to go back and reassess, you know, my analysis of mm-hmm. the game and uh, where's everybody at nowadays? Because I, I remember, uh, you know, Paul Mills up, you know, but Nick Fazekas is big time player for Nevada, and so there was kind of kind of a recap after like you know uh, almost twenty years. Mm-hmm. Of what is everybody doing? And I, I ended up including some personal information because obviously I live in Ruston now, and right. so. I remember the exit here on Hannah State and, you know, the, the, the end of my uh, uh, write-up is about, it's like, you know, yeah, and I would have never thought, you know, 20-something years ago, I'm, I'm kind of like taking this 86 exit every single day. Mm-hmm. And I, it's just, I, I don't know, I to me, I kind of believe in this six degrees of separation, you know, whether it's a place of a person, uh, there's always this connection. And I think, you know, Rustin was always part of this connection. And, and yeah, it, it includes basketball, you know, I guess a legend because he's, he's got yeah. a legend now. So. Yeah. Um, crazy to look back on, I imagine. And also you were right. Cause he, he went on to produce very consistently in the NBA and is a hall of famer here at tech. So, um, you, de- you had the vision, you had the vision, I think. Yes. Incredible. I just, rem- I, I don't know, the, 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 this vivid memory uh, uh, of him playing. And uh, I, I told my best friend that was working for ne- this newspaper, I was like, you know, it's the second coming of Dennis Rodman. You know, it's just insane. And, 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 and nobody knows, nobody knew about him. Right. Uh, and I believe, you know, probably with the, excep- uh, with the exception of ULM, I mean, he didn't really receive any uh, big time offers. I know he was Mr. Louisiana basketball, so uh, he, he was kind of a big player. But at the time, I, I just remember, you know, I, I was following LSU as well, uh, and LSU wasn't doing that well. But I, uh, you know, it, it, it was actually interesting that nobody really knew about this guy, and, and he was just phenomenal. Uh, and so I don't know, one more connection to this place, right? I suppose. Absolutely. Um, You've been doing sort of the scouting thing, and you even mentioned that you kind of still do it on and off um, for a while. How has it sort of changed? Because, I mean, the game of basketball has changed. Its popularity has changed. I'm sure, like, scouting methods and the way that people travel and the way sure. they choose to document players has changed a lot. So how what have you seen there? Uh, I think it's a lot easier to, you know – edit stuff and and so everybody becomes michael jordan everybody's a kobe they all have a highlight reel everybody's a lebron and you know with uh, huddle and you know all this different medias uh i I think it becomes really easy to get a pretty good first impression but i think it for me it, it, it always it's always about the next layer so it's that personal connection you know talking to them uh, I know you can do that on Zoom nowadays, and you know there's plenty of things that happen on Zoom. But uh, but I know that, that I think it's kind of a it's a most a point for me to, to to meet with them or try to meet with them personally or maybe on the phone. 
uh, it's kind of funny because, you know, my brother doesn't speak English that well. So a lot of times when he's talking to players, I, I'm the one mediating. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes I'm mediating about things that I wish I never knew about the players <laughs> and what they were asking for. But but no, but I, I think, you know, just by talking to him, having some kind of an interaction that goes beyond the, uh, you know, the tape, that, that's always, you know, sometimes it, it shows the best of the best. Well, I want to see players in their worst days. You know, I, I like to see uh, I, I used to like to watch games where they had, I don't know, like zero points, but yeah. maybe like five rebounds and, and, and you know, just uh, uh, the, the in, in, intangibles, I suppose, you know, the things that don't really get on the scorecard. And how uh, do you handle that kind of yeah. struggle too, yeah. No, just the personality. I, I think, you know, some of the best players that we had playing uh, for my, you know, home team uh, in Avellino, they – uh, they had an incredible personality. Personalities, personality-wise, they were very quiet uh, in the locker. Uh, so I, I have an appreciation for that kind of player because it's uh, it's always in the background. But uh, if you lose it, uh, you're gonna feel it. So I, I, I love those players. Wow, you said something that I think is interesting about what you're looking for in a player and how you want them to have a little bit of everything, be well-rounded, and that you sort of translate that to your approach to faculty here in the School of Design. Are there other sort of elements from your history, scouting and that sort of thing, your background, that you have taken into this now director role of the School of Design? I I think that's probably the primary because, you know, you have to, it kind of like, you know, if you deal with a school and a school is four different programs, you kind of have to handle four different teams. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, I, I think, you know, you're going to have some players that are pretty flashy, but you're also going to have some players that don't want to be flashy, but they're the glue that keeps the whole thing together. And so I, I think it's important to have a nice little blend of all of it. Uh, and obviously just because of where we are, and uh, it, it would be nicer to, you know, to live in a large metropolitan area. But so and, and being able to attract people that can do it all, I, I think it's primarily important for us because you know we we won't be able to you know if you're in new york you, you can get an engi- structure sure. engineer that they can tell you everything about reinforced concrete or steel structures and uh, but for us we we need to we need to really get creative so i, I like you know to, to to work with people that get creative you know i'm i'm right i've been working here for like 13 years and uh, i think you know every single member of the school of design is crafty and creative and and to me, uh, everybody embodies this idea of, you know, the player that, that, that I used to like, you know, the one that can do it all right. and, 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 and knows, you know, how to step back, you know, when they need to step back. So who are our flashiest players? I'm kidding. Don't answer that. Uh, well, I would tell you, you know, he <laughs> likes to wear orange. but uh. <laughs> sometimes, Yeah, sometimes it's about, uh, it's just about showing off, you know. Um, I think that something you mentioned to me before the podcast, too, is that you're currently the director and that's in addition to the teaching load that you already have. Um, when the sort of transition happened, um, and you became the director in the school of design, was that an easy decision to make? Was it ever, did you ever question it? Or were you thinking, you know, this is going to be a big workload, but I'm all for it. Cause I know, you know, talk, talk me through that. Well, I, I would say, I think, uh, still questioning in a way but not in in a negative way i think you always have to question whatever you do uh, it's the best way to to keep moving forward you know I, I i used to say that i don't like to sit still and i think the thing that i love about architecture and basketball in general you know you can't really sit still uh because you're going to be history if you don't do your work and and so 
no, I love what I do. I, I love this role. I know that, that that was all relative to a change of leadership in the College of Liberal Arts, and I'm super happy to to to, to have Carl Pulyak, you know, lead, lead the college. And and but uh, but at the same time, I, I I'm also coming from teaching. You know, I came here as a, to be a teacher. Uh, this that's one of the biggest things that was attractive to me here. It's the ability and the freedom to, to, especially in the architecture part of things, to be able to teach whatever really uh, fits with your research agenda. Uh, obviously, you know, I was in a tenure track position, and so uh, I and I recognized that tech was offering that, and I and I still like that component. So I want to be a teacher. I want to be in the trenches, uh, and I still love doing it. Uh, I think it, I'm recognizing that, that there, I gotta have to change a little bit of the approach that I have about my time and probably, you know, just go back to being crafty and sure. and, and, and still want, I, I will be teaching, uh, but I have to do it differently uh, because I think it's important to uh, keep that commitment, but also keep that commitment to the students and, and the time and, and the needs that the architecture program has because I'm, it's 100% involved in the architecture program, but but also you know uh, being able to understand the needs of you know the graphic design faculty and the studio art faculty and, and the interior design faculty, you know. And, but 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 I think you know for me the best way to, uh, to 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 have a better understanding of it is to be there. And so I, I love to stay in the classroom. Uh, probably I'm not going to do as much as I did at this past year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know I, I I love teaching. I think it's it's why I'm here. Uh, and you know, being the director, I, I I just I consider myself a colleague. You know, I'm one one of them. I want to be one of them. Uh, I know we. You, would I be, mean, you were you were before, you were yeah, program chair architecture. You were you were right there with them. So I was there. I, I I believe in this collaborative sort of leadership. I mm-hmm. think it's the most important aspect of what we do. And I'm working with great people. And I have you know just amazed by it. Uh, I cannot do what I do here uh, with Adam. Uh, I know it sounds gonna. Uh, cheesy, but but it's the reality, you know. I, uh, it's one of the reasons. It's not just Rustin and the beauty of this small community, but uh, the people, you know, the human resources. And I think you know, great human resources here. Yeah, and now that you're in a, excuse the basketball analogy, in sort of a GM role, oh my, where you're sort of uh, looking at these coaches who are, you know, could or could be considered part of a team, and then you've got the students. I mean, it's all it's a it's a hierarchy, but. Um, I think it's interesting that um, you're committed to both the administrative side of it, the director role, and then also still teaching. Because I guess, I guess if you did, if you shifted into the director role and then you just did administrative stuff, you probably would want to teach even more. You know, yeah. kind of get those boots on the ground a little bit. It, it's a little bit about finding your sanity, mm-hmm. and especially when I was working uh, towards you know the accrediting documentations for for past accreditation that we went through. Uh, I know probably some other people would say, you know, just, you know, don't teach, you know, just spend 100% of your time. No, I could find uh, a little more happiness in teaching, and, and, mm-hmm. and that will kind of plug back into uh, just the administrative work. And I think, you know, that th- there's a synergy between the two different aspects, and I, I think, you know, I need both of them, mm-hmm. to be honest. And so this is one thing that I want to keep working on, because I understand that, that, that both of them are kind of requiring 100% of my time, but... Um, I know I'm, I'm interested in that. It's finding like scrappy ways to make it happen. Yeah. It goes back That's that, to that point guard in you. It yeah, goes <laughs> back to yeah, me being a scrappy, you know, I don't know, average point guard or whatever, <laughs> below average point guard, but but still, you know, the the, the, the will to, to, to be effective. Finding ways yeah. to make up for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, 
So you said one of the things that was attractive to you about tech was the teaching part. At what point in your architecture sort of education or career did you, was teaching something that you realized that you wanted to do? So I, I was working in New York and uh, uh, I was trying to find different, you know, in New York, whatever you make, it's, it's never enough to, <laughs> to have a decent living. And so I, I looked at different ways to integrate what I was doing, you know, just working probably an eight to six job. And, and but the, the, the next level of thing that I wanted to do, I was teaching because teaching what was kind of bringing me back to some uh, good memories that I had in the design studios. Just being an architecture student, you, you kind of develop the, 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 this kind of a connection to your classmates, at just the studio culture. You know, you're in this place, you're designing something and you, you share, you know, blood, sweat and tears, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of missed it from, uh, from, from practice. Now, I was lucky to work for a practice that was studio-based, and so I still had a little bit of that. I, I was feeling just like a student, but uh, I was getting paid to do what I was doing. But uh, nothing, you know, just uh, that, that feeling just kind of brought me back to teaching. And I ended up doing that part-time. So, yeah, you, you, you get off of work, get on the subway, just, you know, do that part-time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I spent some time as a visiting scholar at Columbia just to go back and help. And I, I just... Love that, you know, just the interaction, uh, the fact that you're mentoring students that will be in your same position and in a couple of years. Uh, but just to me, what's so uh, incredible, and it's it's really hard to, to, to define, though, but it's this quality where you work on an idea and that idea becomes a building or becomes, you know, the intangible that becomes tangible. I think it's great. Uh, I'm not to to, to this and some of the other majors, but I, 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 that, that's the reason why I love architecture. You know, everybody shows up with uh, ideas, and mm-hmm. and the fact that we have 20 students working with 20 different ideas that will generate 20 different buildings, and you're kind of part of that process, uh, you're facilitating that process. That I think it's incredible. I I, I, know I get a bit of a rush, you know, just thinking about that because I that's what I like. And I, I don't want to lose it, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's great. That's what got me into, like, teaching. And now you can see that same sort of, I mean, every major in the School of Design is distinct, um, but you can, I'm sure you can see elements of that same sort of teamwork oh, yeah. and cohesiveness in all the majors because they're all, they all showcase that. It, it is. And I, I think, you know, the one thing that was clear uh, after uh, I, I received the accreditation document uh, three days ago, but the work and the appreciation towards the faculty, that was uh, a bright spot. And I, I think just for me to be part of this uh, and to be their colleagues, you know, and the, the work that would go from graphic design to, to the Vista program, and, you know, where oh, yeah. Nick, Nick Bustamante, uh, all the murals with Whitney Cossies and, and Nick, and, mm-hmm. and, and then uh, the interior design program. But, but all, all the different programs, and I don't know, I just... I'm happy to be part of this team, you know, and, and I want to be their colleagues and I just want to keep really supporting what they want to do because it's, there's an incredible potential. And that was the, the conclusive note of this report. It's like, you know, amazing potential. So happy to be here at this time. It's a bit of a renaissance, you know, for, for, yeah. the, for us in the School of Design, though, because it's, uh, uh, it's the end of a cycle, but I think it's opening up, you know, a conversation about the next 10 years. Sure. You know, the good thing about this accreditation, and it will give you 10 years. Mm-hmm. So you have time to really digest and uh, reflect on where you want to be, which is great. I think we all, you know, it's this consistently um, not wanting to sit still. I think you have to do it. You have to keep going. Well, I mean, that's, uh, I'm 
I'm tempted to stop this right there because that was a beautiful and poetic answer, and I appreciate <laughs> that. But I do have a question for you. I guess one more that I'll, I'll leave you with. Um, your architectural background, it's easy. The The simple answer that is like you, your influences in what you like about architecture, architectural influences, probably you would think stem from growing up, Italy, Italian, whatever. But but it's I'm sure it's deeper than that. So talk to me about um, sort of what influenced you maybe at different segments of your career because i'm sure right being there versus being in the states you know versus yeah. being in this city that city so i i think it's uh it's one of those things in architecture where you always have to respond to uh whatever the tr- the trend is at that time obviously when i was in school uh, in italy in the 90s uh, the approach to architecture especially in italy was a little more historical in nature so um, if you're not really into historic preservation or conservation, then you're not really designing anything new. Uh, I think it was a great kind of framework for me to understand the, 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 the meaning of history. Uh, you have to know it, uh, whether it's contextual, uh, because you, you need to know about a place before you go there and design something to that place. Uh, but then what was really attractive to me, uh, especially being able to experience Boston and New York at that time uh, when I came here to the States in uh, 96, 97. It's just the, this kind of a transformative quality of history becoming contemporary through the architecture or architectural lenses and uh, being able to really look at some of the work at the, some of the early modernists that developed in New York and Boston uh, obviously, you know, not not to get too academic, but yeah, some of the work of Mies van der Rohe, Walter Gropius, Corbusier, mm-hmm. and uh, understanding that transformation in relation to how cities were kind of transforming over time, uh, it made me want to change, you know, that scenario. That's why it, it was kind of, I hate to say, but it was kind of easy for me to just switch to, you know, here's Italy, you know, let's get back to sure. uh the U.S. mode, uh, that it's more dynamic. It's looking at city, not, not as a bunch of static uh, collectors and monuments, but, you know, there's more dynamic things are happening that, that, that really open up uh, a lot of different possibilities to new architecture to happen. And that, that was the thing that was very attractive to me here. Uh, that people are doing, they're designing and they're building new buildings. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas in, in Italy, uh, things, things got a little more stagnant. And I ended up addressing that in, uh, in my dissertation uh, because I, I was asked in uh, one of my uh, master's seminars at Columbia, it's like, you know, well, Italy was kind of big in the 60s and 70s. What's going on now? Mm-hmm. And, and the answer is nothing. Um, and actually, you know, the practitioners, they're very, uh, they're doing fairly well right now. They, they came to the States, you know, the biggest guy, uh, uh, Chino Zucchi, uh, he, he's a grad of MIT. And so there, this is kind of a transition, and I happened to be at that time. Mm-hmm. I was part of that group that ended up crossing the ocean to, to come here. I'm still here. Uh, and I, I don't know. I think it was kind of – it goes back to, you know, you can't really sit still in architecture. Uh, we, we're going to be looking at some, I don't know, neo-Gothic buildings in Ruston, so to speak. You know, how, how contextual and culturally relevant is yeah. that? I think you just have to keep moving. Uh, and that's the beauty of architecture, I suppose. Well, um, glad you decided to make that transition here. Glad you're here with us now. If you're listening and you're not convinced that the the school of design is in good hands right now, I don't know what to tell you because it's very evident. Um, talking with you today, Dr. DePaula, and thanks for being on Beyond 1894 with us, and I wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Thank, thanks for having me. This, this was great.
Thank you for listening to Beyond 1894. Please subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about this episode, check out our show notes. Beyond 1894 is produced by Louisiana Tech University's Office of University Communications.